0: Now this day, Exodus 12, 14, will be a memorial to you, specifically dealing with the end of the Passover teaching. And you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. We move from Passover, a single evening event, to the week-long feast of the Feast of Matzah, or unleavened bread verse 15 on the first day you shall remove leaven the hebrew word for leaven is seor it's anything that swells via fermentation and so it's the swelling of bread by fermentation you are to remove leaven from your houses for whoever eats anything leaven from the first day that's the first day of the feast until the seventh day that person shall be cut off from israel All yeast must go from all houses. Now, all the year long, even in Israel and of course in our lives, we enjoy leavened bread. How many of you enjoy a nice piece of sourdough toast? Come on, can I get a witness? Put it in the toaster, some butter on that baby. Oh, yeah. Makes me want to praise the Lord. There's nothing wrong with leavened bread, there's nothing wrong with a pizza dough. Come on, right? However, During this week-long feast of the Feast of Matzah, all leaven was to be eliminated from all houses within the nation of Israel. And the the Feast of Matzah followed the night of Passover. Now, some of you are thinking about the timing of all, all this, and here's the way the Jewish day works. The Jewish day begins at sunset. So when Jesus gathered with his apostles on the night before he died, He had a Passover meal with them on Passover. Now, as the day went on, because the Jewish day begins in the evening, the Passover lambs then died at twilight. Many believe three in the afternoon, but you could consider like the time of sunset, which commenced the next Jewish day, leading right into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Everybody with me? Shake your head. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we uh, in consideration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we are eliminating all donuts from the uh, area outside for the next 30 days. Just kidding. I know some of you would be devastated by that. <laughs> Me personally as well. But notice, it's a seven-day feast following the one night of Passover. And it is the Feast of Matzah or unleavened bread. Let me show you a quick photo. So in Jewish homes all around the world, and this would happen way back in history and even today, the father of a home would take a feather and they would kind of make a game of it with their kids. And they might put a couple of pieces of crust of a bagel or something like that. And they would begin to search the house for pieces of leaven. And what they would do is the dad would take a feather they would take a wooden spoon, they would sweep, they wouldn't touch the leaven, but they would sweep the leaven onto the wooden spoon. They would then take what they had collected and wrap it in a linen garment and take it out to a communal bonfire. This is that something that happened in the history of Israel. Now let's go to the next photo for a second. So within the Seder meal that happens today in Jewish households, they still do this. They will sweep out the leaven out of their house, and during the Passover Seder meal, they have something called the Afikomen. The Afikomen is actually a Greek word. And Jewish scholars are not exact, exactly sure how this migrated into the feast of Passover. But what they do towards the end of the Passover meal is they take this three-station linen garment, which just has pieces of matzah in it, and they take the center piece of the matzah out, and they wrap it in a piece of linen and they hide it until the end of the passover meal and then they give a reward to the child who can find that center piece of matzah now what's interesting about the look of matzah you can notice as you look up here that it has pierced marks in it and it has burn marks in it jesus was pierced for our transgressions by his stripes we are healed and Jewish scholars are not even sure why the matzah looks the way that it does or why that centerpiece gets removed during the meal. But what we have is an early hint of the Trinity migrating into the Seder meal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it is the middle piece that is taken out, wrapped in a linen cloth. Jesus died, and what was he wrapped in? A linen cloth, and then he rose three days later. So within the Seder celebration, and the symbols of the matzah is the person of Jesus Christ. And what we have now is we're moving from Passover, the single evening event, to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And really, they migrated together in such a way that the Jews would really not separate the two. They really went hand in hand. Now, the blood of the Lamb speaks of our salvation. When the blood was applied to the houses, God said if he sees the blood, he would pass over. We are saved by grace. All the Israelites had to do was apply the blood. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And their house was protected. So Passover is a picture of of our salvation. Unleavened bread, that feast, is a picture of our sanctification. What does that mean? After we get saved by grace, one of the things that we're supposed to do is regularly sweep the leaven out of our houses. Now, leaven becomes a symbol of evil in Scripture. In fact, in Mark 8.15, if you're taking notes, Jesus was giving them orders, and he said, Watch out, beware, Mark 8.15, of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The leaven of Herod was his immoral, corrupt conduct, The leaven of the Pharisees was false doctrine, religious pride, you name it. And what's interesting is that in the life of Jesus during the Passover, Jesus did something that's commensurate or in fitting, fitting with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Let's take a look. We're gonna turn to the Gospel of Luke. You can hold your place in Exodus. And Jesus is riding in during Passover week on what we know as Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke 19. Twice in his ministry, he cleansed the temple. One at the beginning of his ministry, John chapter two, and then one in the final week of his earthly ministry. Here we're looking at Luke 19. Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives, verse 38, Luke 19. The people acclaim him. They've gathered for the Passover and they say, blessed Quoting Psalm 118, we're in Luke 19, 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't let them sing messianic songs to you. And he answered and said, 40, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Many believe that the stones there are the stones of the temple itself. Keep reading. And when he approached, he saw the city, Jerusalem, and he wept over it. And he said, if you had known in this day, this is the feast, uh, this is lamb selection day when you would select the lamb, keep it all week into your household. If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. By the way, there was even a prophecy in Daniel 9 that predicted the writing in of the Messiah on the triumphal entry to the day. They should have known the day. They, caught, they followed this calendar for 1,500 years before the Lamb of God arrived on the scene. And he said, even you, the things which make for shalom or peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. And the day shall come. Now Jesus is prophesying the destruction of the temple in AD 70, which would happen about 40 years later. The day shall come upon you when your enemies, that's Rome, will throw up a bank before you, this literally was fulfilled, and surround you and hem you in on every side, and will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Those are the stones of the temple. This was literally fulfilled because you did not recognize the time, God's calendar, of your visitation. And he entered the temple, and what did he do? He began to cast out those who were selling, turned over the tables of the money changers, got them out of there, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. Brethren, Jesus was sweeping the leaven out of his father's house in perfect fulfillment of the feast of Passover. He was getting the leaven out of there. What was the leaven that was going on in the temple area? Religious pride. Greed. They would do something like this. You'd bring an animal, you'd bring a lamb. You'd say, is my lamb acceptable? Someone would check it in the leadership and say, oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't pass the test. But for three easy payments of $199.99, you can buy a lamb approved by us And then you can sacrifice it and be in good standing with God. And they were making money hand over fist and Gentiles and Jews were coming from everywhere and they were coming to seek the Lord during the feast and the people were being ripped off. And rather than it being a house of prayer, it was a house of merchandise and Jesus swept the leaven out of his father's house and said, no, you will not do this, especially during Passover week. And he swept it out. And this is what Jesus did in his ministry. And Paul, picking up this theme, if you turn over to 1 Corinthians, which is a little bit more to your right, he picks up this theme in an early young church, the Corinthian congregation. They had some cool stuff going on, but had a lot of division, a lot of kind of confusion about doctrine, 1 Corinthians chapter five. And they had a man in the fellowship, sadly, who was up to some very immoral behavior. In fact, he had an intimate relationship with his father's wife. And the Corinthian congregation was not doing anything about it. They were waving the banner of grace rather than dealing with this individual. And here's what Paul says. He says, your boasting five, six of 1 Corinthians is not good. Do you not know that what? A little leaven, that's all it takes is a little leaven, leavens the whole lump of dough. And then he says, clean out the old leaven, there's our title, that you may be a new lump. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a new lump. No, don't do it. That kind of annoys me when preachers say, look at your neighbor and say this. Don't do that. You can say it later. You're a new lump. Anyway, never mind. (laughs) Just as you are in fact unleavened. Look, you're unleavened because of the blood of the lamb. You're, You're sinless in God's sight. You're unaccusable before the Father. Here's the good news. Positionally, you are unleavened. You're forgiven. God doesn't see you in your sin anymore. He's not counting your sin against you because Christ, our Passover, here's the imagery of the Passover in the New Testament, also has been sacrificed. So there's our salvation by grace alone. But notice, here's sanctification. Here's being made more holy. Let us therefore celebrate the feast. Some believe this is the feast of Passover. Some believe it's uh, the idea of communion or the Lord's Supper. Not with the old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, in the case of the Pharisees, there was religious pride and elitism and not having a heart for God or the people who were hungry to know God. In the Corinthian congregation, there was an individual up to immoral behavior, and he had become leavenous. He had become leaven that was permeating the other people. And sometimes, here's some application, we have a leavenous person in our lives. Uh, The modern way to say it is someone's toxic, right? And it is hard sometimes to know how to draw those boundaries. What do we do when we have a Christian friend who's pulling us back towards the world, claiming to be a believer but a constant drag on us and sometimes maybe leading us to things that we shouldn't be doing? We need to consider those relationships and the church had to look at this particular individual and Paul tells them get rid of the leaven and Paul essentially to sum up the other verses says, boot the guy out of the church. Get him out of there because he's affecting everybody. A little further in your Bibles to the right, Galatians is ahead of us. You you pass up 2 Corinthians, you get to Galatians. This is a doctrinal issue now in the Galatian church. Look at chapter 5, verse 6. Paul's been dealing with a false gospel uh, among the Galatian churches, and he says, In Christ Jesus, 5-6 of Galatians, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Uh, We can talk about the negative. The negative is to sweep out the leaven. Here's the positive. Why don't you put a little bit more love into the situation? Get the leaven out, put the love in. Rather than holding on to bitterness, rather than holding on to all the stuff that we can allow to leaven others, to spread to the whole lump of dough, how about we put some love in? How about we become the positive person who decides to reach out to others and pray for others and say, you know what? I'm gonna be a positive influence, not a negative one. Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And then he says, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. Here's the image once again. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. Don't hold to this false doctrine. But the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. The Lord's going to deal with this guy. So this is the image of the leaven and the Feast of Unleavened Bread all the way back to the book of Exodus, if you will, both Old and New Testament. As the Jews were to celebrate the Feast of Matzah, they were to sweep out the leaven out of the corners of their households. The dates of the feast are given in Leviticus 23, Verses 5 and 6, just write it down for your notes. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight is the Lord's Passover, Leviticus 23, 5. And then verse 6 says, Then on the 15th day of the same month, there is the feast of matzah, or unleavened bread. To the Lord, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. If you're interested, let me reiterate that all the feasts of Israel from the spring to the fall are all listed in Leviticus 23 beginning with Passover and going all the way to the Feast of Tabernacles. So this would be a good uh, chapter for you guys to have under your belt. We won't go there for the sake of time, but you can see the application. We're to make a clean sweep of our lives. Uh, Sometimes at the ball game, if you uh, have a team that you like, Dodgers should be your team. Uh, So let's just say that a, some of you are just rebels. We'll talk later about You know, that angelic team in Anaheim. Anyway, never mind. But they do have a good player, Shohei Otani. Oh, man, that guy's good. But anyway, um, so if you're there about to sweep a team, people will bring brooms to the game, right? And it's kind of like we're going to make the clean sweep. Well, that's what we want to do in our lives. We want to sweep out all the leaven in response to our salvation, not to get ourselves saved but because we are saved and we want to be vessels fit for the master's use. So leaven can be subtle. Things can kind of sneak into the corners of our homes and our lives. And sometimes, you know, all of a sudden we realize that something has been swelling in the corner, so to speak. It's been fermenting. It's been spreading to other people. And that's how the world works. And so on this feast, there's some, some more instruction. This is 12:16 of Exodus. On the first day of the feast, you shall have a holy. The word holy is kodesh. It means a sacred assembly. The word assembly I gave to you last time is mikra, M-I-Q-R-A. It's a calling together. It's a summoning. And it has the idea of a rehearsal or a dress rehearsal. And another holy or sacred assembly on the seventh day. Notice, no work of any kind at all shall be done on these two high holy days within the feast. They fall on the first and seventh day of the feast. Except what must be eaten by every person, that alone may be prepared by you. So within the seven-day feast of matzah are two high days. They are called sacred assemblies. And if you break down the Hebrew word, it has the implication of a rehearsal. Now, if you've ever been invited to a wedding, let's say you're part of the wedding party, they will do a rehearsal often before the ceremony. What's the purpose of a wedding rehearsal? It's to get people in the right positions. You know what you're going to do, who's going to say what. You're going to be here. We're going to stand like this. For 1,500 years, the Jews did dress rehearsals leading up to the Lamb who had finally arrived, Jesus, and take away the sin of the world. Every year when they killed the Passover lambs, when they ate unleavened bread for a week, it was anticipating the arrival of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And within the feast, two sacred assemblies, two times to have a day committed to worship. Now, here's the application for us. What's the Lord ask of the modern church? He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Now we are not under the law, but certainly God deserves a couple of hours a week from believing Christians, does he not? And I think he deserves much more. And, And I have heard all the weak excuses and I'm not talking about people who have to work on Sundays. Some of that's out of your control. But for professing believers to say, you can't give God two hours a week in worship, dedicated worship, to lead your families, gentlemen, to the Lord, to me, I don't get it. I don't get it. And even though we are under grace, I don't know why anyone who names the name of the Lord does not want to gather in sacred assembly with the people of God. For, in you know, some churches you go to, it'll be an hour. Living truth, it's typically three hours. We all we all understand. You can see the pain look on some of your faces, but anyway. <laughs> now notice, these days, these high holy days, were not to be treated as normal everyday events. They summoned the people of God, and they said, no work, these days are about worship. They're about commemoration. They're about gathering in his name. Maybe a good way to think about this is communion time. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11:26, as often as you eat this bread, the matzah, and drink the cup, the juice, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we gather in sacred assembly, we are making a proclamation. We're saying Jesus Christ is coming again. And we participate in something Jesus transformed into the Lord's Supper. That is the elements of the communion or the uh, Passover meal. And so you shall observe the first, excuse me, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 17. For on this very day, I brought your hosts, if you have an NIV, your divisions, New King James, your armies out of the land of Egypt, Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. Now, we haven't even gotten to the actual Passover event yet and the death of the firstborn, but they're going to leave Egypt on the first day of unleavened bread. And God says, I want you to mark this day. This is the very day that you left in your divisions or literally in your hosts. By the way, hosts and divisions And New King James armies is probably best translated armies because the Jewish people had to leave Egypt in haste. They couldn't let the bread rise. They had to leave quickly, but they had to be prepared for battle because in Exodus 17, they are going to battle the Amalekites. They had to leave as God's army. Brethren, here's the application for us. We're saved by the blood of the lamb. we got to sweep out the leaven. And we have to be prepared for battle. Because even though we're saved by grace, we have a spiritual battle. We have an enemy prowling about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And we have been given the armor of God. And though we are saved, we still have to put on the armor. Amen? because we got an enemy that wants to undermine our faith. He wants to stumble us. He wants to undermine churches and marriages, and he's very much on the prowl. And so we must remember. We're called together to remember and celebrate. Let me show you an interesting verse. This is in the book of Numbers. So you got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 33. This is a little bit to your right. This is what This is a record of the different places that Israel journeyed recorded after the fact in Numbers 33. Take a look at verse one. Now, these are the journeys of the starship enterprise. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's not the correct reading. But you all know that Leonard Nimoy, uh, by the way, was a Jewish man. And it's interesting. Leonard Nimoy uh, used a symbol... In uh, Star Trek, and this is what it was, and he said, "Live long and prosper." Do you know that they found these symbols, this symbol on Jewish graves in many different places? And the high priest, when he would pray the ironic blessing, I have trouble with this hand doing it. This is how he would pray the blessing. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you." This was the position of the fingers. I've heard uh, Leonard Nimoy in the past um, document people feeling a tug to go back to Israel and checking their DNA, even in the last 10, 20 years, feeling a tug to go back to the Holy Land, which is interesting. These are the journeys of the sons of Israel, Numbers 33, 1, by which they came out of the land of Egypt by their armies. There's that word armies. Under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses recorded their starting places according to their journeys by the command of the Lord, and these are their journeys according to their starting places. They journeyed from Ramses, 33-3 of Numbers, in the first month, that's the month of Abib, that's what we've been studying, or Nisan. On the 15th day of the first month, that's the beginning of unleavened bread. On the next day after the Passover, the sons of Israel started out boldly in the sight of the Egyptians, notice, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, the Lord had also executed judgments on their gods. Then the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses and camped in Sukkot. It's interesting, and this is an image that is forever etched in my brain Exodus 12 that as Israel is going out and they've collected the. Uh, The jewelry and all all that uh, the Egyptians gave them, as they're marching out triumphantly in song, I'm sure, in celebration, the Egyptians were doing this. And they were burying graves for all the firstborn dead in all the land of Egypt. What a contrast! The people of God going out in victory, the Egyptian people mourning their dead as God had brought a severe judgment. And so we wrap up the first part of the text by looking at 1218. In the first month, a reiteration now with actual calendar dates. Before we saw it was a seven-day feast. Now we have the actual calendar first given to Moses. On the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days there should be no leaven found in your houses, for whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Now, it can't get any more clear than that, can it? And the penalty, if you decide that during that week, you just can't handle it. I gotta have a bagel. And somebody opens the door, and there you are caught with a bagel, caught with a maple bar, caught with a slice of pepperoni pizza. Someone's going to say to you, what are you doing? You couldn't even go a week without something leavened? And here's the penalty. It's to be cut off from Israel. There are some major views. Some believe the extreme view, this is execution Some believe it's excommunication. There's a similar fate at Living Truth. If you steal the pastor's maple bar, excommunication. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Think about this. In the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, what do they do to that man? They excommunicate him. They kick him out of the church. And Paul says these words, I have handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. So some see a parallel there. Others would say it's stated as a fact in that God will ultimately deal with that person so that they will be cut off in whatever sense God says that to be a shortened life, a barrenness, perhaps. This is just conjecture. Uh, there are others who say they will not share in the blessings of the promised land, eternal life. You can make your list. But it is something that would be surprising that someone can't even keep this for a week. Like what's going on with you? And here's the larger picture. Because these are symbols of salvation, if someone can't keep the symbol, have they experienced the reality? In other words, when you take the Lord's Supper and you take the piece of matzah and the juice, that doesn't save you, they are symbols. When you go into a baptismal water, the water doesn't save you. We could dunk you a thousand times in the water and it would change nothing. But if you've been saved on the inside, now the water becomes a beautifully symbolic, emblematic of what's happened on the inside. That you've been changed, you've been raised. The Lord's Supper is the same idea. In Roman Catholicism, they teach at the consecration of the Mass, the priest literally calls down the Holy Spirit. And the wafer, the Eucharist, and the cup of wine, I'm quoting them now, literally is turned into the body, soul, blood, and divinity of the Lord. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit at the end of the service. But really, that's not what's happening. Because think about it. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, This is my body. All of you eat it. He took the third cup of the Seder, the cup of salvation, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Was it his blood? No. What, were they munching on his body? No. The truth of the symbols pointed to the one that was sitting there. It was not literally his body, blood, soul, and divinity. The symbols took on that rich, beautiful meaning so that when you partake In Passover and unleavened bread, when you take the Lord's Supper, when you go into the baptismal waters, you are acting out the symbols that should reflect the reality. Therefore, if someone couldn't even do that, God says, if you're not gonna imbibe, if you're not gonna accept, if you're not gonna act out the symbols of salvation, then it is clear to me that you don't belong to me. Amen? And thus they are cut off. So we know we've passed out of death into life because we love God's people. We want to be in the sacred assembly because we belong to the community of God because we first obviously belong to him. And so someone who wouldn't do this, it became very clear that their heart was far from the Lord and that would have to be revisited. Now, all of this has been instruction given to Moses. If you take a look at Exodus 12.1, what we have is Moses and Aaron are spoken to, uh, the Lord addresses them in the land of Egypt. And this has been all dialogue given to them by God now passed on to the congregation. We'll move quickly. Then Moses called for the elders. Zaken is the Hebrew word. It means a leader, not necessarily uh, about age here. The elders of Israel and said to them, go, this is a truncated communication of what he received. Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop. If you ever wondered how the blood was applied to the doorpost and lintel, here's how it was done. Take a bunch of hyssop, which is basically a plant in Israel that grows between the rocks. It actually grows today on the wailing wall. And they they were to take the branch, dip it in the basin of blood. And this particular plant was good for the application of other things. And that's how they applied the blood. So you're to take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood, which is in the basin, maybe at the actual threshold of the door was the basin, we learned last week, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel, the doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. Now let's take the picture of the door just for a quick second here. Last week I showed you the picture of the door sealed in the blood, and you could see that they would stroke the door with the hyssop plant, on both sides and the top. There's evidence that they killed the lambs in the threshold of the doorway. And if that's the case, then the image emerges that the whole door was sealed with the blood. Now think about it. Jesus is on the cross. The Lamb of God is on the cross and he bleeds from his head, the crown of thorns driven into his skull. He bleeds from both wrists, and he bleeds from his feet, and of course then eventually his side. All four portions of the door sealed in the blood, if you will. Jesus is the door to salvation. And the door became this picture of being sealed from the wrath of God. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. We're sealed. We have the engagement ring. Literally, this is the language. The down payment of the promise of our future redemption, which includes uh, you know, the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth. David put it this way, purify me with hyssop, Psalm 51, after he sinned with Bathsheba, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness after David fell to sin. He knew God, but he fell. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. And when Jesus was on the cross, he knew all things had already been accomplished. In order that the scripture might be fulfilled, reading from John nineteen twenty-eight through 30, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine, wine vinegar, was standing there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a branch of hyssop, and they brought it to Jesus' mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Brethren, get this. They took hyssop to apply the blood, and hyssop was used to bring the sour wine up to the mouth of the Lamb of God. When he fulfills, all of this imagery. Amazing. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, 23, the Lord will pass over the door. That's where we get the idea of Passover, and will not allow the destroyer to come in to your houses to smite you. Notice, Bible students, you have the Lord in all caps, that's Yahweh, twice here in verse 23 and someone described as the destroyer, which many scholars believe is a separate entity from the Lord. The Lord will not allow the destroyer to come in. Now, some people have said, well, maybe the destroyer is some sort of death angel or something like that. But there is a consensus of scholarship, at least that I've read, that believes that the destroyer is indeed a separate entity, get this, and identify him as the angel of Yahweh. Now, the angel of Yahweh is the voice that speaks to Moses from the burning bush and is essentially indistinguishable from God proper, if you will. So that the angel of the Lord is God. Most scholars believe the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus before he's named Jesus and born in Bethlehem, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Get this, if that's true, If the angel of Yahweh is the destroyer, every door that he sees with lamb's blood, he does not go into. He doesn't go in to destroy. And it may well be that that personage is himself the future lamb of God who will shed his own blood for the preservation of his people. I'll tell you what, the Bible blows my mind. Sometimes I just want to go, because I don't even know how to walk those thoughts out about what that might mean to him and his mind. But when I see the blood I'll pass over, the destroyer won't come in. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for your children, for you and your children forever. And it will come about when you enter the land which the Lord will give you as he has promised that you shall observe this rite. This is a permanent, this is kind of like a pre-evangelism for uh, all the people of Israel to point to the coming Lamb of God. And it will come about when your children will say to you, what does this rite mean to you? Why do we have Passover? Today it's like this, why do we have to go to church? I said that this morning to my wife. Why do I have to go? No, I'm just kidding, I didn't say it. (laughs) Do we have to? Do we have to? No, we get to. And let me tell you what the Lord has done for me before you were born, son, daughter. I got down on my knees and consecrated this house to the Lord. You ain't paying rent as far as I can tell. And and here's what we did. The Lord saved us. The Lamb of God applied the blood. Do you know that, here's the deal. the, The blood of the Lamb, our part is to apply it. That's faith. We're saved by grace through faith. We've, we've got to apply the sacrifice. And that's happened. And He sealed our lives. That's why we go to church. That's why we do what we do. That's why we share our faith. That's why we tell of the good news that God sent his son because he loves us. Amen? That's, this is who we are. It's not something we do. It's who we are. He spared our homes. This is a Passover sacrifice, 27 to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel. He saved us in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians. He spared our homes. We're saved by this great salvation. And the people, notice their response, they bowed low and they worshiped. I don't know when the last time is that you maybe got down on your hands and knees, maybe in response to God's word, but the people got down, man, They bowed low. When they heard all this, they bowed low and worshiped. And then the sons of Israel went, final verse, and did so just as the Lord had commanded. They followed the Lord's command. It came through Moses and Aaron, but it was God's word. And they did what they were told. They bowed low and worshiped, and then they got up, and they did what they were called to do. James says, if we hear the word of God and we don't do it, This may be hard to hear, but this is the truth. We're self-deluded. If we hear these teachings and we don't obey God, and look, we're all in process and we're all trying to sweep out leaven, and it's a battle, but the people got up from worship and they said, now we're gonna do what God's called us to do on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday. Some final thoughts for you. When Jesus was teaching in John chapter six, he gave, he fed the 5,000 and there was some talk about him doing a sign and a discussion began to emerge about the idea of manna, which God would provide in the wilderness. And Jesus responded and he said, it wasn't Moses who gave you the manna from heaven, it was my father. And he began to point a connection between the manna and himself. He said, I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven and the, what I'm gonna give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then he said these strange words. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And to make it even more complicated, he said, my flesh is true food indeed and my blood, true drink. And I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He's talking about eternal life. And it's perplexed people, and it's brought out some strange views about what communion is. But then he goes on to say, this is very important. John 6:63, 6, he says, "The words that I've spoken to you are spirit, and they are life." Translation? Don't take me literally. I'm not asking you to come and gnaw on my flesh. I'm giving you Passover Exodus pictures so that you can know that I am the truth and I've come down to save you. And do you know what happened? On that very day, many of his disciples, John 6, 66, ironically, the verse is John 6, 66. On that day, walked with him no more. They said, this is a difficult teaching. Who can listen to it? He's talking about his flesh and his blood and they didn't make the connection, and many walked away, and Jesus turned and looked at the 12 and said, you want to go too? And Peter said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And Peter might speak for a lot of us saying, I don't get everything you say, Lord. Some of this stuff, whoo, <laughs> right? But I know I've watched enough to know that you are the life giver. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Thank you that he takes away my sin. Thank you for the Feast of Matzah, which points to his beautiful perfection. And thank you that his blood and his perfect life have been transferred to my account by faith and simply by applying the blood to use the image by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saved. And you apply his death, his resurrection, his perfection to my life. And I'm saved. And in response to that great salvation, which is a gift, we cannot forget it's a gift, you call me to sweep the leaven out of my house, to sweep the leaven out of my life. Father, I want to pray that you'd forgive us for the leaven in our lives the leaven in our country because we've sinned against you, Lord. And as many good things as we could count many blessings that you've given to America, we have sinned against a holy God. And we need to repent of that sin and get back to our foundations. Help us to sweep out the stuff that doesn't belong there. And it's got to start with your people who are called by your name. Would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us, Lord? Would you help us to celebrate? We're a people of celebration. We want to celebrate the feast, but we want to do it with sincerity and truth and not phony malice and wickedness. Help us to be a pure people, Lord. I know some in this room are brand new Christians. Some are many years in the Lord. Wherever we are on that spectrum, would you help us to be true to what you've revealed to us and what we're learning. Help us to sweep out the leaven and replace it with love. Let the things of the Lord permeate where there was once bitterness and fermentation and spreading of that which is not good. And let us do it in light of your great salvation and for your glory. Now, if you haven't opened your heart to Jesus, this would be a wonderful time to mark the day of salvation. Each one of us have to have a moment individually where we cry out to the Lord. We believe who he is, what he said about our salvation, and we trust him. We've got to apply the blood. And so it's something like this. You don't have to have perfect words, but something like this. Lord Jesus, would you save me? Thank you that you came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you that you died on that terrible cross and bled from those different places that we studied. Thank you that you went into the tomb, but you rose from the dead. You rose to save me. You rose to justify me. I trust you. Be my God, be my Lord, be my Savior, be my King. If you're a prodigal and you've kind of wandered away and you might say that leaven is a good description of your life It's been puffed up with pride and a lot of stuff is spread that you didn't want to happen. Now's the time to sweep out the leaven and get right.